0: Welcome. I'm Alexander. Hi. Ah. <laughs> oh. I'm Simon.
1: And I am Haney.
0: We're Need deep In Tech covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 215, recorded on January the 17th, 2023. It's 2023. You will be able to find this. And our previous episodes on needypentech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. How's that for setting the bar for 2023? Ah. It, it will be
1: the first year when
0: Alexander is happy. Oh, it does sound that way. It's 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 gonna <laughs> yeah. go away because I, I have a dentist's appointment tomorrow, so. Oh. Yeah, Sorry to hear that. Yeah. First.
2: yeah. Very good at the recording today, then.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, true. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Mm. Otherwise, it could have been a bit mushy. Could mm. have. Mm, true. Uh, almost like um, Outlook.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so we have some news uh, in Outlook. The roaming Outlook signatures within Outlook, the installed version of Outlook, is rolling out, which will enable you to synchronize your signature between different Outlook clients. Something that should have been there 20 years ago, but now it's here, and it will greatly help a lot of organizations.
0: I'm you, sure uh, it's based off Cosmos DB, so it, it requires super <laughs> high-end power in order to do this. But, yeah, but it's now it's an
2: finally... E5, E5 feature. Probably. <laughs> yeah. You will also be able, and this is something I, I actually have tried to do already, Uh, which haven't worked because people don't look at my calendar. They just assume I'm busy. You are now able or will soon be able to schedule bookable time in your calendar, which will be visible as bookable and which will be visible if you use Microsoft Bookings. So it will basically be a time slot in your calendar, which looks occupied, but where others that are using bookings can schedule time in your calendar which is something I'm really looking forward to and that will help me immensely. So go Outlook.
1: That sounds really convenient. It does. Uh,
2: Something that isn't convenient is that a lot of people, unfortunately, have lost their jobs over the last weeks. Uh, We have the cloud software group, which you might know as Citrix, uh, that actually cut 15% of all employees last week. But we also have learned that Salesforce have cut a lot of jobs from Tableau, which was acquired in 2019 for a whopping $15.7 billion. And I remember that me and Alex talked about this. Um, we we uh, probably saw what they wanted to do, but I don't think they've been successful in doing so.
0: So, what's your thoughts on, on this, Alex? It's enormous. I mean, Tableau is an exceptional piece of software mm-hmm. and in, in in many ways it's superior to parts of what power bi can do and it's mm-hmm. superior to what ClickView can do and, and superior to what looker can do mm-hmm. uh, and essentially shooting the biggest uh, rival to power bi in the foot like they've done is uh, i think this is going to have a uh, serious repercussions on the market, and power mm-hmm. BI has so much to gain from this. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. And then considering, uh cutting jobs, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, Amazon had 23,000 jobs yeah. out mm-hmm. and yesterday it was 294. Wow. So they, they had 23,000 job openings and now it's 294. Um, wow. So mm. yeah. So it, it's it's definitely happening, and I mean, Microsoft has cut uh, people as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting times ahead at the mm. moment. Which kind of brings me to um, new, te- new teams for features, uh, but it's <laughs> actually the other way around. New features for teams makes sense, right? Someone had the brilliant idea of, of combining Power BI and Teams, mm-hmm. uh, and. I, I remember vividly the first time I heard that and almost like thought, okay, someone had a bad idea. But it's actually a pretty good idea. It's, it's all about getting Power BI reports and, and dashboards and stuff into teams and kind of making teams into this uh, data hub or, or mm-hmm. essentially business hub. This has been uh, updated. There are uh, some new uh, collaboration experiences. And Lukasz Pawlowski, who's one of the, the PMs, for this is um, having a great uh, blog post about it. So go look at that if you are using uh, Teams and Power BI uh, in combination. There are two other blog posts that just came out and I really like these kind of materials, if you will. Both of these that I'm gonna talk about are from the Synapse Analytics blog. And one is structured streaming in Synapse Spark. And this is something that um, it's, it's uh, all about handling real-time uh, real data. Mm-hmm. Most people think about IoT, streaming data in, in Spark. Spark is not necessarily suited for this out of the box, but with sp- structured streaming, it's pretty darn good. The caveat is that you're going to need to run your Spark cluster essentially 24 7 mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily cheap but if you you can stomach the cost this is super powerful um, it's not real time per se technically it's micro batching but it's very close to the same thing this is a um, walkthrough of how to set up streaming uh, structured streaming in synapse Spark, and some tips and tricks for uh, handling checkpoints and all those things in uh, in Python. So I really like it. It's a great starting point for for playing with this.
1: And just a point that we actually talked about this in a previous episode with Simon Whiteley. Uh, yes. And he kind of told that within Databricks, we can do some tricks where you don't have to have uh, the cluster on all the time. But yeah. that is... Of course, not available in Synapse Spark because that's pure Spark and not Databricks. But
0: there are ways. So there, there are indeed ways. And most people think of Databricks when they think structured streaming. Question.
2: Is it expensive because it's an expensive service? Or is it ex- like... What, what I'm trying to get to is if you have streaming data, especially from IoT, you're probably interested in having that data streamed to you 24-7. So is this way of using the service more expensive, or is it just that you have a requirement of having it running twenty four seven? Do you do you see where I'm trying to get?
0: I I do, and the answer is the the latter. You mm-hmm. just need to have your compute yeah. running constantly instead mm-hmm. of turning it on, doing a lot of stuff, heavy lifting, and shutting it down again. Mm-hmm. That's the most efficient way. Well. Yeah. The most efficient way of running Spark is not running it at all, uh, but uh, <laughs> that generally does not give you what you're looking for. Uh, so, so that that's the thing. You need to mm-hmm. keep this running, even yep. even though you might not need all the the power that Spark brings to the table. Uh, you mm-hmm. can probably get away with a small-ish cluster, but it needs to be running 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to make a dent in your your wallet. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm trying very hard not to say, structured screaming, because that's my experiences with this. It works fine for the most part, but it has some some caveats and some gotchas, and, and Simon Whiteley is, is the guy to talk to when it comes to that. The final blog post that I found uh, is a really interesting one. It's also on the Synapse Analytics blog, and it's about creating a serverless data warehouse. And service data warehouse is essentially a Azure synapse where you don't have old school um, VMs, there are no VMs. You may or may not have actual uh, classical SQL and Azure's. In this scenario, in this, this example, it's all based off storage at a blob or a data lake layer and having pipelines for data copy or Azure Functions for doing more uh, complicated things, or if you want to do it in a notebook, that's also fine. And then using serverless, the Azure uh, Synapse serverless uh, SQL to uh, query data from external tables, uh, for instance. And this gets visualized through Power BI. This is a great idea. I mean, this is where we're going to. Um, I still think that we are kind of missing parts of the 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 plumbing we don't have a a unified storage magical area where you can just toss everything in and it's going to work maybe that's coming down the pipe i i can't say that would be great but the the achilles heel of this i find from experience is the serverless uh, the, the Azure SQL Serverless. It's a fantastic product. It is absolutely wonderful when it works. And it has been suffering from performance issues. And in many ways, I would be okay with knowing that it is slow. I can deal with that. But I don't know if it's slow today or if it's slow tomorrow. And that is so frustrating because the, the service is wonderful. Wonderful when it works i'll get off my soapbox now yeah
2: so uh, server less isn't necessarily more
0: that was horrible but the answer is no
2: yeah Uh, moving on to auto patch when you don't want to patch your machines or when you want someone else to do it for you windows auto patch uh, was introduced last year it's a um data-driven way of allowing Microsoft to take care of your Windows updates for you within Microsoft Intune. Uh, In January of this year, they added FastTrack support for it. So now if you're a FastTrack eligible customer, I think it's like 150, 300 seats, something like that, where you get FastTrack support. They can help you set up AutoPatch for your organization and help you get going with it, uh, which is great. You also now get some more release information straight into the AutoPatch portal. You're able to opt out from both expedited updates, which expedited updates is basically when you want to enforce an update. Let's say it's a zero day patch and you want to push it out outside of your update rings. You might not want to do expedited updates on your AutoPatch rings. You can, but you're now able to opt out. Uh, you're also able to opt out from Microsoft 365 apps updates so what we call Office Uh, and you also have support for Azure Virtual Desktop and 32-bit Office if you're still running that and if you are I'm very sorry for your loss you're missing 32 bits so a lot of uh, great news to AutoBatch can't wait to see that service evolve and it's something I can highly recommend to my customers that have a current goal of being up to date within three weeks, which I still think is two weeks too slow but it's better than not patching at all
1: Sounds good So next we're going to talk about Cosmos DB and we know it powers many things as we discussed in the beginning
0: Like the roaming profiles uh, <laughs> 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 Or maybe not. don't first, take people. that
1: too seriously <laughs> So within Cosmos DB, there has been, of course, a change of names, which happens occasionally in different services in Azure. And that can, of course, be a little confusing, especially with Cosmos DB being actually a service that provides different APIs within it. And I think Cosmos DB has evolved so much that it has been confusing to call them APIs because those services can differ quite A lot from each other. So, as the latest addition, we got PostgreSQL into Cosmos DB, which is a relational database. But then we also have these uh, non relational options within Cosmos DB as well. So, for example, previously we had the SQL API in Cosmos DB, and that is now called Azure Cosmos DB for NoSQL. And the API for Mongo is now Azure Cosmos DB for MongoDB and so forth. It's always Cosmos DB for something so it is more this idea of like Cosmos DB is empowering these other uh, database uh, services that are already available. Of course, NoSQL is the native Cosmos DB uh version kind of that is not a separate service somewhere else that you could run but most of these other ones are something that you could run outside of cosmos db as well so it is like this cosmos db is empowering these different services and i think this does make sense except it's new naming again (laughs) and within cosmos db there is well It's not really a Cosmos DB feature, I don't know, but it's related to Cosmos DB. Uh, We have in preview Azure Cosmos DB uh, Synapse Link so that you can get the data to Azure Data Explorer. So again, it kind of uh, brings a little complexity to the table because we have these Synapse links services already available. We have one for Cosmos DB, we have for SQL and so forth, and they all work a little differently. And within Cosmos DB, we have already this Synapse Link capability, and that particular feature works so that it doesn't actually move data anywhere, but it actually enables this analytical store within Cosmos DB. But this one, Azure Cosmos DB to Azure Data Explorer Synapse Link, actually moves the data from Cosmos DB to an ADX database. So, uh, but it is quite a, it is kind of one of those out-of-the-box integrations that you can have in place, and it does have really low latencies that it uh, offers. So if you do need to work with your data in Data Explorer, this could be a good option, but it's still in preview, so really no experience yet how it works in practice.
0: The whole um, Cosmos DB and and Synapse Link. I had this wonderful conversation with someone who's pretty well versed in Cosmos DB, and they (laughs) had let's just say a not very happy experience with the Synapse link for for um, Synapse. Yeah, because there's some restrictions. (laughs) Well, not only that, then I mean, restrictions are restrictions. You can work around them if you know them, but it's Mm -hmm. more of a fundamental. A philosophical difference because the, the point of Cosmos DB in in his view was that you don't need to worry that much about schema. Yep. And that is fantastic if your, your workload looks like that. But as soon as you tack on the Synapse link for Synapse, then you need to conform yeah. to a schema. And if you didn't think of that from the start... It's easy to fall for the the propaganda, if you will, uh, <laughs> that Synapse Link is the bee's knees for analytical workloads on on uh, um, Cosmos. It can mm-hmm. come back and bite you.
1: So, on to Event Hubs and how you can now capture data into Delta Lake format from Event Hubs. And this is a kind of a feature that has been in Event Hubs before. Uh, you've been able to capture data from event hubs into a data lake, but you haven't been able to affect what format that is. So it's just been the native format. But now you're able to actually capture the data from event hubs and specifying that uh, data from event hubs into data lake and specifying that you want this in delta lake format. And if you're not familiar with delta lake, uh, it is a format that is... um, (laughs) Simon is shaking his head frantically. Uh, It is a format that is based on the Parquet format or kind of built on top of it, you could say. And it kind of takes out the issues or challenges that we have with Parquet. So with Parquet, you, for example, do not have ACID transactions. So if something fails in between, you can end up in a weird state. Whereas with Delta Lake, that brings the capability that it's able to kind of Do that one transaction at one go, and if it succeeds, it goes through. If it doesn't, it rolls back. And there's a lot of other benefits as well. And I do see that there would be a benefit in being able to capture the data in Delta Lake format, but I know Alexander has opinions.
0: I do. And funnily enough, not on the fact that you can sync stuff into Delta. And I mean, Delta is, is prevalent. Delta is is the name of the game. If you have a stock yeah. in Delta, you're going to be rich unless Delta happens to be open source, which it is. Now, <laughs> what I have opinions <laughs> on is the the new no-code editor and ah I should stream have guessed. analytics. I'm sorry to say, but it sucks. <laughs> because yeah. it simply doesn't work.
1: Yeah. I I do have to agree. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) I've I've been playing a lot with Debezium and that involves running uh, Stream Analytics. And it is so easy to go into Event Hubs, click, write, and go, yeah, I want to have a Stream Analytics job. The thing is you cannot create a sync from there. So you need to save the darn thing as a Stream Analytics job, go back to Stream Analytics, open that in the editor, and then you can actually get stuff done. So... (laughs) It's a good idea, but I think that it needs to go back to development for a bit. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm done ranting now.
2: You, you were happy for right. seventeen days, nineteen hours, and fifty-two minutes.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> now, and then welcome back the <laughs> Node code editor. Exactly. Came. Oh damn! I'm sorry. I should have skipped this one.
2: <laughs> but how do we recover
1: from this? Simon? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, nicely done. Uh, I would say that a lot of people were ranting as Alexander were this weekend because Microsoft decided to release a um, update to Defender for Endpoint last Friday on Friday the 13th which broke or it include it started false positives if you had a particular uh, attack surface reduction rule for uh, macros in Office if you happen to have that rule turned on, which a lot of you that are listening should, uh, all your, or many of your shortcuts were deleted because it started to think that .lnk, .LNK files uh, were bad. So it deleted shortcuts. And we all know what happens when you take away a user's shortcuts. You're, you're going to hear so, about it. Yeah. So Microsoft have released a couple of, and, and the community built a ton of tools as well. Microsoft have released tools to get the shortcuts back, but it's of course sparked a huge discussion on why don't Microsoft test this? How could they miss it? All of those things, mm. uh, which we have spoken about previously. We can probably revisit that at some point, uh, but if you were part of the ASR Armageddon, there are help to be found. That is hopeful. Yeah, and I still think that you should patch as quickly as you can. Because yes, this broke it for a lot of organizations. I understand if a lot of IT professionals had to work across the weekend to to make it right. But again, it doesn't happen very often. And to have that rule set in place and to update as soon as you can is always advisable.
0: I mean, shit happens. And yeah. the, the consequences is probably going to be bigger if you do not patch.
2: Yes, but I I fully understand how painful it is for users when all of their shortcuts disappear. I might have done that. (laughs) Or actually, a (laughs) former colleague of mine and Alexander's happened to delete every single shortcut at a government agency once, and I had to reinstate them. That was a fun day. I hope you're listening, Sounds Daniel. Very fun. <laughs> uh, speaking about something that might not be as funny, but well as important. So the backstory of this is that uh, I, during the the holiday season or the holiday weeks, uh, were browsing LinkedIn as I as you do, uh, and I came across a post by a, a relatively big. LinkedIn author, uh, and I saw that a person that works for one of, a partner for the company I work for, uh, left a very racist comment to that post. That in turn made me think a lot. So how should I react? Should I reach out? Should I stop doing business with this company? Uh... And a lot of those things, because to me, you are to some extent representing the company you work for on LinkedIn. You might not represent their views and they might be completely different from the views the company has and and all of that. But you are still on LinkedIn, in my opinion, to be a representative for the company that you work for. Then a couple of days later, I went for lunch with Alex and I asked him about this. What 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 should you do and how should you behave? And you, at a start, were very skeptical. Are you really representing your employer on LinkedIn? And that sparked a discussion, which we will continue now. So, so in my opinion, on LinkedIn, it should be a professional network. Most people that are on LinkedIn are there to either consume content from others within the industry, where it's, of course, important where you work to look at the, if you're like a good source or not. Uh, And and a lot of people are there to market their brands or their employers or their services. That's how I see it. That's why I have a very strict policy on what I post on LinkedIn and what I post on Twitter. So that's my view on LinkedIn. You are a representative for your employer, but you may not represent their views and vice versa.
0: So my view um, here and. As you said, this was one of those things that I had an instant thought about. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I started thinking about it, I realized, whoa, this is a really interesting topic. And I need to backtrack my my answer. I need to think about this, which I've done. And I still haven't really come up with Mm -hmm. the the definite answer. But the way I, I see things is that social media is a plague. Uh, I have literally nothing positive to say about social media. That's just the way I think. Um, there, there are um, definite upsides to especially Twitter for me personally because that's where I, I get to read a lot of the, the news items. I think LinkedIn is horrible. Uh, but apart from that, that, that is not the discussion today. The whole idea of social media being a representative of a company this may be me being old i i really can't I, I can't connect the dots in my head i understand what you're saying but it doesn't feel that way again that's that's me mm-hmm. having thought about it a bit more i think that people <laughs> should behave in in a professional manner mm-hmm. everywhere and you say that linkedin is a professional network uh, to counter that, I'm going to go ahead and say, ask any woman on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would struggle to find a single woman that has not been uh, propositioned on LinkedIn. just out of the blue. So mm-hmm. that's an issue with social media. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. <laughs> so what's, what's the All difference right. in, in your view then, Simon, between um, LinkedIn and, and Facebook?
2: I I would say that it's the intention of the platform. I do agree that we see more and more things on LinkedIn that, in my opinion, should belong on Facebook.
0: Fair enough. So so it's the it's the intent. Exactly. It's the
2: intent of the platform. It's built for that. It's it's customizable in that extent. It's it's not there to be, in my opinion, again something other than a professional network. And that's how I see it. Now, as you say, like horrible things happen on LinkedIn as well as any other platform. I think that's a, a problem with humanity more than social media. Uh, but but that's that's, <laughs> that's where we true. are. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's the intention of the platform. And if people then start to destroy the platform, you will see what happens. It's the same with planet Earth. It had good intentions and then humanity stepped in.
0: I was about to say <laughs> Twitter. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I hear you. And I'm super curious to hear uh, what what is view on this.
1: Yeah, uh, it's good you gave me a little bit of thinking time that I could try to gather some thoughts about this because it's not quite as straightforward as you'd kind of think initially. Which we found um, out. Yeah. For me, it comes down to like... If you do post something, will people, whether you are representing the company officially or not, will people still link you to where you work, you know, in their minds? Mm -hmm. And I think with LinkedIn, that is very much the case because it is a professional network. So even though you are not really like, there's no official thing that you're representing your company, but if you say something, As was in Simon's case, that you associate with that with the company as well, because that does happen for people. Then, in a sense, you are also responsible to make sure that whatever you say on LinkedIn doesn't hurt the company either. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, I feel like within LinkedIn, you're kind of representing yourself. You might even be like representing user groups if you're organizing those and you know you associate with those. Or what? whatever other groups might be there but also your company if you associate to that them in some way and even if you don't associate to them so much on linkedin but if people know you work there mm-hmm. if you do say something linkedin has that this kind of connotation of it is a professional platform so people will then start wondering like is this is this like what what is this what to do and so forth so I think that's
0: and, and and that that brings the question of, of policing because mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm thinking you're you're coming to that Simon this specific company that this guy works for should they step in should they have an opinion on what he posts on social media maybe or probably outside of working hours mm-hmm. is he representing the company in that way should he be held accountable mhm I'm, I'm thinking you're you're going in that direction.
2: I, I'm going in a lot of directions because it, it really made me think. And I think your point, Haney, first, is fantastic. You're also representing a user group, a community. You're representing other things, which might be the same case on, on Twitter, because there you are usually your community self. But I do think that's a very valid point that you're representing uh, other things. In terms of policing, I think that that is very, very challenging Mm -hmm. because I do think, and and we have seen examples of that in, in Swedish politics as well, that you are possibly hurting your company by not having views but sharing views in a context where it can be. Uh, connected to your employer.
0: I doubt that that would hold in court. Well, it, it holds up in the court of public opinion.
2: Yeah, exactly. But not
0: not in a legal one. No, and that uh, doesn't I, matter.
2: No. So so I, I do think that I'm still struggling with this, but it's not easy. And I, I unfortunately, it's also so that if I were to stop Doing business and and reporting people that have views that I see as inhumane, I couldn't work with many companies, and that's just the sad truth. So I, I think that that's my view on it. And I think we'll also before we we end this focus segment, I would also like to take some other examples of where this might be applicable. So we'll get back to you speaking uh, and and things later on. But uh, in terms of how, how would you behave? Or how would you think in, in a similar situation?
0: I'd argue that's called the slippery slope argument. Mm-hmm. You can always argue that, well, there's always going to be a bad apple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I need to think about it. So yes and, and no. Back to policing. I don't think for a moment that policing the social media is even possible. Mm-hmm. I would love for people to behave like human beings or mm-hmm. adults. And again, yeah. that's a pipe dream. But having said that, it it comes down to implicit condoning. Will the company be seen as implicitly condoning his behavior or not? I would love for uh, the ability in in LinkedIn, for taking for for instance, to be able to report that specific post to yeah. that company, hmm. because LinkedIn won't care. They have a gazillion yeah. users mm-hmm. every second. But maybe that company could look at that and go, hmm, that is painting us in a bad light. The flip side of that is you can easily use that to get dissenting views off the internet. So mm-hmm. whatever you do, you're up shit creek with no paddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely an interesting conversation. I would love to have a, a, a response, a solution. I have not.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I have anything to add. It's no. tricky. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that's the gist of it. And
2: and we then continued our discussion over lunch in terms of when and how are you representing. So when I'm on stage, I'm I'm actually I'm going to be very transparent here. If I'm paying to be somewhere, I will own like I, I I'm not always introducing myself as an employer or an employee of my employer because
0: I'm no, you're, here. You're Simon.
2: I'm here, and I've yeah. paid to be here, and I don't get salary to be here. In other occasions, I'm representing, or I'm I'm there because my employer allowed me to go, and I get pay, uh, my my like weekly salary, uh, and and they in some instances have paid for flight and so on. And then I of course introduce myself and emphasize where I work. But that's more sending a message that okay. This is on on why I'm here and so on. But everyone still knows where I work and yep. what I say yep. will impact that. And I think a very, very good example of that is the Swedish, the current Swedish discussion on American cloud services, where I might have a view on things and which I can be very transparent with in customer meetings and so on but where my view might be considered the view of my company, which might not necessarily be the same. So I think that's another way of looking at it. Who are you representing when you're on stage? And I think there are some people that have a such a strong personal brand that you don't really care about where they work, but most people, you will know where they work and you will relate what they say to that company. So have, have you any thoughts on that when, when you're up on stage or virtual stages? Who are you representing?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is similar <laughs> to what I said about LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You kind of represent everything you get associated with, whether you get associated with that in that particular event mm-hmm. or in other contexts. So. Yeah, uh, I I guess for me, I work in a place that I'm really proud to work at, mm. and I will proudly say where I work. And kind of, I get to have my views as an as an employee there, so I don't feel like I have any contradiction in that. I can just I can just be myself and not have to worry about am I representing my, uh, my company or not in a way. Mm. That's how it is for me, and also I don't think I have such outrageous opinions anyway that I would maybe you know i I don't know how I would go there. but I'm definitely always kind of aware that I'm representing myself, but I'm also representing whatever other contexts I am associated with, even this podcast
0: and, and that that's a good point. And it doesn't really matter if I specifically say. This is my opinion. It may or may not be shared by my employer. It mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. No. I have an opinion. I work for the company that I work for. By implication, there is some connection there. So we're yeah. not, never going to get away with, well, that's my personal opinion. I attended a Nazi rally. That's me. That's not something related to my company. That shit does not fly on. The internet and it doesn't work in in in, in uh, Swedish any. politics either. No, either. true. But you you mentioned one thing, Simon, when we were uh, having mm-hmm. dinner uh, having lunch where we did not agree, and mm-hmm. that was the the way of, of striping cars, put, mm-hmm. putting stickers, huge stickers on cars. Mm-hmm. You argued that Carts. someone who was driving like a maniac with a huge, I don't know, Volvo sticker or or or. Um, whatever sticker you would not look at that sticker and go, that's a crappy company that condone that behavior, Mm -hmm. which I would. Mm -hmm. I, if, if I see a, a, um, a carpenter driving with a (laughs) car with, with their company logo and, and everything on, and he is behaving like a total posterior in traffic. I will remember that. And given, any situation where I could talk to that company, like if I were to buy mm-hmm. services from that company, I would remember that, because it, in my view, that paints a picture of the behavior of the individuals. What, what what's your thinking there?
2: I I still have uh, like another view on it. If if I and this it, this is a big difference. If a taxi driver, or a delivery person, or a truck driver, does that that will make me question if they should be doing what they're doing. But if, again, carpenters, or if I were to have my car branded, which I would love to, I've asked every single employer I've ever worked for, can you please put your logo on my car? Um, I wouldn't really care because then, <laughs> then we're back to the opposite argument. It's the person. <laughs> which I understand is a little odd, but but I do think that no I, I I would not choose another carpenter because of that but I would choose another taxi brand because of it
0: in that yeah, in in true. so many ways that kind of brings home the whole point of this conversation mm-hmm. we can't really say when it is an individual and when it is representing a company there, there are pros and cons to both mm-hmm. and I I I'm so happy that you brought this up because it definitely messed with my head. And it forced me to think about this. And it forces me to think about it just about every day because we're surrounded by so many logos and and all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this, have a think about this. Because it's not as easy as it sounds from the get-go.
2: Yeah. And if you have input on this, we know for a fact that our email address is working again.
0: Yay! (laughs) to so, fix pod- the DNS,
2: <laughs> and now I can't remember which one <laughs> we we used. Uh, I think it's podcast.kneadeepintech.com. Yes, it at, is. Podcast <laughs> at needepintech.com. Dude, we we, always- need, we
0: need a, a an asterisk, so anything goes.
2: I I do actually think that yeah. I added like ten aliases. So info, podcast, contact, <laughs> try whatever, and you Simon will reach is us.
0: boring at yeah.
2: I will add that as an alias. Do it. So, any any last oh, yes. thoughts, Haney, on this before we we start to wrap things up?
1: Yeah, I think it got wrapped up really nicely. I still have many thoughts about it, mm. <laughs> but I'll I'll just keep thinking.
2: Good. So, uh, speaking about representing a, and work, Alexander has done something.
0: So. I was hired by Data Masterminds last year to um, take over the analytics world, essentially. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but we're building out an analytics um, uh, mm-hmm. part of the company, and I am so happy to to um, have been able to to snag Linda, uh, mm-hmm. my my old colleague and also my my old uh, mentee. So mm-hmm. she just came on board, so we are now two Swedes working for Data Masterminds. That is super fun. And Mm -hmm. we have also been uh, accepted for bits together. So we're going to do a a very, very different session uh, this year. It's called Plus 5 Wisdom, Learning to Ask the Right Questions. And um, completely different from anything we've ever done. Um, So that's going to be a lot of fun. I am going to... I uh, did a toboggan. Me too. Yeah, yeah I, I saw that today. That is fantastic. <gasps> did Did you get a, a full session or did it a, a 10 minutes?
1: Full session. I hope I can't do what I'm <laughs> doing in 10 minutes. <laughs> Networking for Synapse. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that takes but more the, than the 10, 10 minutes. I'm sorry.
0: It actually, it doesn't uh, because the 10 minute version would be, is your DNS working? Yes or yeah. no?
2: It. No, and, and no, and, it, and it's never working.
0: <laughs> I'm going to exactly. spend ten minutes talking about violin plots. What? I, I need to come and listen to that. I
2: wait, wait, is yeah. that wait 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 wait? I thought you were joking. What, what is it? No,
0: <laughs> a violin plot is a combination of a histogram and a box plot. So it's it's a way to more
1: questions over Simon's head.
0: It's a way to visualize uh, data. But it, it gives you much more granularity and, and insight to the distribution of the data than a just normal bar chart would do um, it's i i wouldn't say that it's rare uh, but it's very uncommon to see it used and i think that is uh, unfortunate so that's why i have my 10 minutes love letter to violin plots
2: Because I learned a new word today, which were, and this is directly translated from Swedish now, saxophone birch. Apparently, it's a thing when you do the um, Swedish uh, ranger training in the military. If you are in uh, Arvidsjaur. Saxophone Saxophone birch
0: as in birch wood.
2: Yes. Because apparently if... It's a birch with a lot of snow. It turns into a saxophone shape. And if you're going on skis behind a snowmobile and get stuck in such a birch, then you start to fly and become a paratrooper instead. Interesting. I might be listening to a couple of military podcasts currently.
0: (laughs) That's also known as Simon's wishful thinking.
2: Yeah, I don't think... Ranger duty would be my thing in the military.
0: <laughs> you heard it Even though first, I, Simon is not he, going to the Rangers.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and on that, absolutely.
0: I think it's definitely time to to end. Yeah. Uh, but this yes. has been really fun. And again, thank you so much for, for that uh, topic for discussion, Simon. It was really, really um, thought-provoking is, is a good word. We'll be back in, well, definitely in two weeks. We also have a number of interviews with uh, people behind Bits coming Mm -hmm. up, uh, which is probably going to go out of sequence uh, as well, because Bits is an interesting um, event, and we are going to talk to uh, some of the, the people behind it. But until then, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in a while. And until then, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need in Tech. Need Tech is a biweekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com.